Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, May 30th. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. A search for four missing people in the water near Sitka has been suspended. According to a Coast Guard press release issued this morning, the search for four missing boaters was called off at 9.30 uh, Monday night. In an official statement following the decision, Captain Darwin Jensen said, quote, Despite our best efforts and those of several partner agencies, we were not able to find the four remaining individuals. Suspending a search is never an easy decision. We extend our deepest sympathy to the loved ones during this difficult time. Our sincere thanks to community partners and the Good Samaritan vessels who rapidly responded to help in the search. The U.S. Coast Guard starting, started searching for four people after recovering one body from the wreck on Sunday. On Sunday evening, Kingfisher Charters reported an overdue charter boat with five people on board. The boat was last seen underway near Cape Edgecombe in Sitka Sound. It was found shortly after 7 p.m. on Sunday, partially submerged near Low Island, about one mile east of Shoals Point on the southern tip of Krutsoff Island. The Coast Guard recovered one body from the wreckage. As of Monday afternoon, the search for the four missing people's uh, missing individuals was ongoing with several Coast Guard crews, the Sika Fire Department, and Good Samaritan vessels aiding in the rescue efforts. The names of the dead and missing have not been released. The U.S. Supreme Court issued a decision last Thursday limiting the Environmental Protection Agency's authority over wetlands, and the implications for Alaska could be substantial. Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin has more. Governor Mike Dunleavy applauded the ruling, saying it will help promote responsible development in Alaska. The case, called Sackett versus EPA, is about what constitutes waters of the United States, meaning how far inland and upland the Clean Water Act applies. One project that could be affected is the proposed pebble mine upstream from Bristol Bay. In January, the EPA used its veto authority under the Clean Water Act to block the project. Pebble CEO John Shively says the implications of the case aren't clear yet, but he says the ruling helps move the EPA's authority closer to what Congress intended. Until now, property owners have needed a federal permit, for instance, to fill a bog or stream, if there's a significant nexus between that bog or stream and a larger waterway that's considered navigable. With the Sackett decision, the court says the federal law applies only if there's a continuous surface connection between the area and a navigable waterway. Attorney Bridget Pisarianos at the environmental law firm Trustees for Alaska predicts it will be a tough test to follow in Alaska. I know we see that in Alaska a lot, right? We have these big braided rivers that tend to shift and move. Um, there's many, many places that are suffering from a lot of erosion. The erosion is a huge problem, and so it's changing where a lot of these waterways are. Pebble Mine opponent Alana Hurley, director of United Tribes of Bristol Bay, says the Sackett case isn't a threat to the EPA's determination blocking the mine, but Hurley calls it, quote, 
incredibly concerning, unquote, because it limits protections for critical wetlands, rivers, and lakes. In Anchorage, I'm Liz Ruskin. The new Alaska ferry, Hubbard, carried its first passengers last Tuesday. The boat, which was built in the Ketchikan shipyard, is the latest addition to the marine highway fleet. It now links Juneau, Haines, and Skagway every day but Mondays. Alain de Prémeny got a tour of the new boat on its first stop in Haines. Getting the MV Hubbard online has matched the slow pace of its namesake glacier. Construction started in 2014, and it took four years to complete. Then, due to some quirks of management and planning, the marine highway system decided to change course and upgrade the boat with crew quarters to allow it to run continuously. This is all steel deck here. They added these modules on. Uh, all the unlicensed crew lives on this deck. Captain Gabe Bayless points to 40 feet of living quarters that have been added to the upper deck. In addition, a crew lunchroom has been converted to sleeping quarters. The ship's passenger capacity didn't change. It was built to hold 300. Well, we can go take a look at the galley. We're trying to make it work. Uh, it's a different configuration, and it's, it's kind of condensed in size. The galley is tight, but the new stainless steel shines, and Bayless is confident that once a permanent cook gets assigned to the boat, some warm meals can be provided to passengers. I don't anticipate this vessel ever being able to serve hot meals to 300 people. But perhaps on the lighter loads, we will be able to serve hot meals. Bayless says with a full load of passengers, the new galley will turn out soups, salads, and sandwiches that will be sold at the cafeteria. Adding crew quarters cost $15 million and delayed the boat's maiden voyage until this week. On Tuesday morning, the Hubbard sailed up the Lynn Canal with about 70 passengers on board. But its long-awaited docking in Haines was further delayed. The ferry Columbia was carrying an unusual load of heavy equipment and was late leaving the Haines Ferry Terminal. The Hubbard's crew had no choice but to circle around Lutak Inlet for an hour and a half until the Columbia left. Finally, about nine years and 90 minutes after construction began, the MV Hubbard let out its first load of passengers. Haines resident Tom Faverty was one of them. Except for the delay at the end, it was a beautiful voyage. The boat was uh, very clean and very well organized, and it's nice to have another ship in the Upper Lynn Canal. We need it. The Hubbard can hold more than 50 cars. Its top speed is about the same as an electric scooter. It's 50 feet longer than the ferry Leconte. The marine system has said that bringing the Hubbard online in the Lynn Canal will free the Leconte to increase ferry service in other southeast communities. AMHS has had difficulties recently hiring and retaining staff. Captain Bayless says a ship like the Hubbard is well positioned to address the problem. We're going to have a smaller crew size, which I personally kind of like. It makes it feel like a more efficient operation and then also a closer-knit crew. Bayless says having a new ship will improve morale. He says although he loves the 60-year-old Melaspina, a recently retired ship in the fleet, he could see that working on a slowly decaying vessel had an impact on the crew's energy. 
He points to an area on the Hubbard's deck where a crew will be able to have barbecues when in the shipyard. It's a great opportunity. If you focus on the good of these ships, they're great ships. And the things that are bad or a little off, I know are going to improve in time. So it's great to be part of a, it's more of a living thing and a growing thing. The car deck of the Hubbard is spacious, wide open. This allows the crew to quickly load and unload in port. Bayless has to cut our tour short when his radio announces the ship is ready to leave for Skagway. The turnaround time in Haines was only 20 minutes. Bayless says he expects by tonight they will have made up much of the delay the boat just incurred. For KHNS, I'm Alan DePromenil. The Alaska Legislature's budget includes a one-time school funding boost of $175 million. But school district leaders and many legislators were hoping for something a little more permanent, a big increase to the per-student funding schools get from the state every year. And as Katie Anastas reports from Juno, they say one-time funding won't resolve ongoing budget problems. Jared Bryant is the superintendent of the Anchorage School District. He says his district may put their share of the one-time funding into savings in anticipation of a deficit in 2025. Until we make structural reform to school funding, we'll always be in these conversations where we're talking about deficits and budget cuts and pink slips and layoffs. Juno school district officials agree that the lack of a permanent funding increase makes it hard to plan ahead. Cassie Olin, director of administrative services, says... The district likely won't put the money to new recurring costs, like hiring teachers. Instead, they might spend it on online classroom materials or maintenance projects. We like to try to focus on um, non-personnel expenses in the additional funding, something that we don't necessarily have to have in the following years, because you don't want to put you know, $5 million of positions into the district's budget and then turn around next year and if nothing happens, then... Those $5 million worth of positions now have to be laid off. Without a permanent funding increase, districts may have to resolve deficits in other ways, like closing schools, making class sizes bigger, and reducing bus service. Those are the kinds of budget decisions legislators cited when pushing for a permanent increase in school funding this session. Anchorage Democratic Senator Lukey Tobin chaired the Senate Education Committee. She advocated for the Senate version of a bill to increase the base student allocation by $680. I think we, as Senate Education and again as Senate Finance, were able to really articulate why an increase under the BSA was the best, most equitable and fair way to support our education system. Instead, it will only go up by $30, an increase Governor Mike Dunleavy approved last year. Tobin says... Barring a significant increase to the base student allocation, a one-time funding boost was the next best option. She called it a safety valve to hold schools over until the legislature can resume talks about a permanent increase next year. Tobin says she's feeling optimistic that Dunleavy will approve the one-time boost. I know that he is an advocate for our schools. I know that he recognizes the value of a good quality public education, and I'm hopeful that he sees this balanced budget and uses his veto pen very little. As they wait to find out, school boards and district administrators around the state will meet in the coming weeks to discuss next steps. With help from Tim Rocky in Anchorage and Katie Anastas in Juneau.
Wrangell's local government has decided to bankroll some purchases and expenses for the town's biggest holiday celebration, the 4th of July. The borough assembly voted last Tuesday to set aside up to $25,000 to help the Wrangell Chamber of Commerce, which is struggling financially. Sage Smiley reports from Wrangell. Wrangell's 4th of July festivities can cost over $100,000 each year. Last year, it all but bankrupted its organizer, the local Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber has struggled to keep afloat and requested additional funding from the local government to help plug the holes. Chamber Volunteer Board President Bill Burr spoke to the Assembly by phone. Primarily, we are looking for 4th of July funding for fireworks, for utilities, for insurance. The Chamber's financial troubles are an ongoing problem. Outgoing Director Brittany Robbins also sits on Wrangell's Assembly and didn't participate in the vote because of her conflict of interest. But she did give an overview of how the Chamber's finances broke down over the last few years. When I started late January 2021, the uh, treasurer was on their third year and did not know that they were the treasurer. Um, I spent over, I don't even know how long, there were over 10 months that had not been reconciled with the banks and QuickBooks that I had to take, that I had to manage before I could do anything else. The FY 2022 was solely based off the budget information provided to the chamber by the previous director and chamber staff, or chamber board. Robbins said the chamber is making changes and is no longer at high risk of dissolving. She said the organization has secured more than $8,000 in sponsorships for 4th of July events, canceled subscriptions, and is reaching out to businesses around the borough and region for memberships and sponsorships. Maya DeLong is a former chamber board member and former assembly member. She spoke against the funding at the meeting and expressed frustration with the financial management of the chamber. And I call bullshit. This is not a perfect storm. This is a multitude of terrible decisions. I don't think the city should use our tax dollars to reward bad behavior. So I think we should retain them and figure out a way the city can run the 4th of July. Assemblymember Bob Dalrymple supported the relief money to the chamber. He also sits on the borough's economic development board, which initially heard the chamber's funding request. In discussions, uh, mainly in the economic development board uh, on this issue, they was brought up uh, the importance of the fourth and, and the wall it has in Randall and its identity and the fact that it's a major draw and then it was an unknown driver. And uh, I think that there, the chamber struggled in the last few years and this was the reach out to try to help make sure that at least that tradition is maintained from this year. The reimbursements will have to be approved by the borough manager and won't be able to be used for items like food or wages. Some taxpayers don't want their money to blow up in fireworks. Mayor Patty Gilbert said she'd heard from many community members about the money, and most didn't want it approved. But the way I'm thinking about this is I, I'm thinking about this being forward funding. And to take, and I'll just say it, but to take the Wangle Chamber off of our budget for FY24 and, and see if they can restructure and gain footing. That's about the only way I can reconcile it in my mind in terms of spending additional um, taxpayer money.
The borough already makes an annual contribution to the chamber. Last year, that was $27,000. Mayor Gilbert floated the idea of using the money that would have been given to the chamber next year instead to boost the budget of the newly created tourism coordinator position. That budget could then be used by the Economic Development Department for collaboration with the chamber. Ultimately, the borough assembly approved up to $25,000 in funding for the chamber's 4th of July efforts. Assemblymember Dave Powell was the sole no vote. He said he had significant concerns and also said he was frustrated that the assembly didn't get more than one person's public input. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley.